Listen now, if you have brought your Bibles, you can turn in them to the book of Exodus chapter 12. That's the second book in the Bible, so it shouldn't take you too crazy long to get there. The book of Exodus and chapter number 12. Boys and girls, well, I should say this. Ladies and gentlemen, can I urge you with this? Um, I encourage you, please, be sure that you are, um, as a part of your home, one of the things as families, one of the things that is so important is that you include the Bible as a part of your home. Now listen, it's going to look different in different places and in different, you know, family dynamics are different, children are different, but one thing that we're trying to do, and we're not perfect at it, but we seek to have, uh, just for us, we have a four-year-old who can't focus and a two-year-old who can't focus. So we have a very short amount of time that we spend um, looking at, sometimes we've read a pa- uh, uh, passage of scripture, sometimes we read a, a Bible story, sometimes we read, uh, we have a book that has like a passage of scripture and like a little lesson paragraph with it but whatever age your children are it is a wise thing remember my dad again he was not perfect at it but my dad made sure he tried to have what he called family devotions where he opened the bible and just tried to teach us something out of god's word listen parents i encourage you Make an effort to do that. I don't know of many parents that do it perfectly, that uh, that uh, hit it every single time, but I'm going to tell you what. Listen, you have people out there in this world who are desperate to teach your children to do wicked things. So why don't you teach them a little bit Amen. of what is right and what is wrong and where they can find that in the scriptures. Teach them who God is because if you don't, someone else will. Now, it might not be a bad thing if someone like Elmira Baptist Church teaches them who God is, but if you don't, it'll be some, uh, parents, it'll be some YouTuber or some influencer who will teach your children who God is. I'm going to tell you what, they won't, they won't use the Bible for it. So listen, please, be sure that you are including the Bible as much as you possibly can in your homes. What we're going to do is we're going to take our final time here and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Exodus and chapter number 12. So you all, be, you all are doing a great job. So keep on listening. And I'm going to tell you what, my biggest, <laughs> my biggest, they call it a pet peeve. My biggest thing that bugs me is when people talk out. So you've got to be listening really well and not talking out. And uh, I'll be watching for those of you who are doing a really good job listening, okay? So let's pray. We'll jump into it, okay? Lord, thank you so much for the the lesson we're about to see. I pray that you would help us to understand your word, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things about our Bibles is that, is that, um, you know, the Bible is not just a bunch of random, uh, just a random maxims and uh, ideas and concepts and lessons that you just kind of pull together. The Bible is a very, um, cohesive story from front to finish that tells about what God is doing in this world, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do in the future. And one of the things that we have here in the book of Exodus is one of the things God did was he would chose himself out a people group that he was going to use in the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel, that he was going to use as his, can we say, his um, uh, his picture to the rest of the nation of um, uh, his relationship with Israel would be a picture to the nations about how they could have a relationship with God. Beautiful thing. And so, and so uh, as God was calling this nation of Israel and prepping them for a bunch of different things, when where we find them in the book of Exodus is the people of Israel, although they weren't really Israelites yet because they hadn't even formed the nation of Israel yet, but the people who would eventually form the nation of Israel, we find them in the Egyptian empire in the book of Exodus. And you know what they were there? They were slaves. 
Slaves to the Egyptian Empire. They had been so for quite a while. I think it's around 400 years that the, that the Jews had been slaves in Egypt because what had happened was, um, you, you had, um, just kind of quick history. There was Joseph. Uh, Joseph had brought his family over, which was Jacob, who was related to Abraham. These were the people that God had chosen, was going to bless. And so they had moved to Egypt. They began to multiply and have children and their children would have children and they began to form a great nation. And so the Pharaoh, who was kind of like the, kind of like the king of Egypt. Uh, and so the Pharaoh got really nervous about, well, maybe this big, like minority group is going to become so powerful that they're going to be able to take over my empire. And so the Egyptian Pharaoh turned all the Jews into slaves. And it was a, it was a very bad time, but you know what God did was that God heard the prayers. He heard the cries of his people that cried out and cried out for deliverance. And God raised up a man, a prophet by the name of Moses to go and confront Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. And I'm going to tell you something. Moses, he shows up in front of this Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. And do you know what Pharaoh's first reply was to Moses? He said, who is the Lord? that I should obey him. And I'm going to tell you what, it was as, almost as if God says, you want to know? I'm going to show you. And for lack of a better way to put it, God showed up and showed out. It was almost like God shows and said, you want to know who I am? It was almost like God came down to Egypt and flexed in front of the Egyptian empire and said, you want to know who I am? God says, I am that I am. I am the eternal one. I am the all powerful one. And you don't just tell the God of the Bible, no. And so what, he, what God did was he brought some plagues down on the nation of Egypt. You can read about this in Exodus uh, chapters, uh, Exodus chapter 2 through 12. You can read about how God uh, took the Nile River, which was really the life source of why the Egyptian empire was so powerful. He turned the, the Nile River into blood for a time so that no one had access to the water there. It was The entire thing turned to blood. Um, he, uh, God caused uh, plagues of lice to come down. The lice bothered the people. He caused um, plagues of frogs to come down so they were everywhere he caused plagues of flies to come down and those were really uh, you know annoying and, and and nasty and such but then god upped the plagues because every time there was a plague moses would come back to the pharaoh and said pharaoh god says let my people go and over and over pharaoh would say not happening not happening. And so God began to up the the uh, began to up the plagues. We start finding out that God allowed uh, a disease where all the livestock died. Now, if you've ever farmed, you know that if you were to go out one day and your entire livestock got wiped out, you would be in a bad financial mess. Bad financial mess. And so he re God really crippled their economy, yet Pharaoh still said, I'm not letting the people go. They're going to stay my slaves. Then God began to send boils. He sent diseases that caused boils to grow on the people. And then he sent hail, which began to destroy not just the, the more livestock, but the crops as well. God sent locusts that also attacked the crops. I mean, Egypt was being laid bare and in their economy and such. God sent a plague of darkness. And yet, even though God kept saying, let my people go. Pharaoh kept saying, not, not on my watch. Sometimes Pharaoh would say, well, maybe I'll let him go for a time. Maybe you can go just a little bit into the wilderness, but you have to come back. Other times Pharaoh would say, sure, you can go. And then the next morning Pharaoh was like, you know what? I changed my mind. No, you can't go. And so finally God said, I, I finally God said, I am going to get his attention. 
And with the 10th plague that God sent, the Bible says in Exodus 12, 12, tells us about this final plague that God was going to send that was going to get Pharaoh's attention. Hey, can I ask you a question real quick? What's God going to have to do to get your attention? Because for some of you, tonight is literally the first time you have even thought about God in weeks. Can I tell you something? God not only just wants your attention, he wants a relationship with you. You know, some of you, you barely have time, you barely even give him a, the, the slightest thought of the day. And if you do pray to him, it's just you want him to do something for you. I mean, why? What's God going to have to do to get your attention, friend? Well, Pharaoh was about to get his attention grabbed. And so the final plague, the 10th plague, Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 12, the Bible says, God says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and he says, and will smite, that means kill, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Can I tell you something? That's pretty serious. That God says, Pharaoh, you have hardened your heart so hard you have pushed me away. You've pushed me away. You've rejected me. And you have not, you've not obeyed me. God, said, God says, finally, you know what? Then this is going to be the worst one. This will get your attention. God says, uh, tonight, I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt, and I am going to kill the firstborn in every family. Now, I'm going to tell you, you know, a lot of times people look at that, and they hear that, and they think, wow, what a cruel God to do something like that. You know what I'm thinking? What a stupid Pharaoh. What a stupid Pharaoh to literally see the power of God and to still say, I'll risk my entire nation's life to be right and to win. God says, no, you're not going to win. You know what I also see in this is sometimes people see that and think God is so cruel. No, actually, he was very merciful. Think about it. Chance after chance after chance after chance. After chance, after chance, God gave all these chances for Pharaoh to get right with God, for Pharaoh to let the people go. And each time, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? He's not as powerful as my gods. No one's going to tell me what to do. And God eventually said, you aren't going to be as powerful as you think you are. And so what happens? God says the final plague is he's going to go through the land of Egypt and God says that he's going to kill every firstborn. Not because God is cruel, but because Pharaoh was so stubborn and would not listen to God's calls of mercy. Kids and, and adults, how many of you are firstborn? Would you raise your hand? You're the firstborn in your family? Look around, look around at you, look around. This, if you all were Egyptians raising your hand, you would be the ones who would have died that night in the plague. Tell you what, that's serious. So you say, well, uh, well, well, what could someone have done? Does this just mean all the firstborn just automatically died? You know what's great is that God, in the midst of having to punish sin, God is still a God of mercy. Because you know what God did? Was God made a very simple way that any family could have their home protected from the firstborn dying. So what happened? Well, the Bible says in verse number 21, what had to happen? Well, chapter 12, verse 21, Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your family. So he said, first thing you want to do, if you don't want your firstborn to die tonight in the plague when God passes through, he says, you need to go get a lamb. By the way, we find out later this, this lamb had to be spotless. 
In other words, no blemishes on it. It had to be a perfect, it couldn't have uh, like weird stripes or weird spots. It had to be a perfect lamb. It couldn't be missing a leg, it couldn't be missing an eyeball. It had to be a perfect, spotless lamb. And so what would they do with it? Verse 21 says they had to kill it. So they would take this lamb and they would kill it. But then verse 22 says, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop. Now, do you know, I don't know if you know what hyssop is. It, honestly, it's, a, <laughs> to be honest, it's kind of like the plants that are like right outside. Basically, it was a weed that grew in dry desert ground. You pull this thing up and it was, you know, especially as it dried, it would become very crunchy and, and such. And so you could dip this. What they would do is they would use this hyssop almost as a paintbrush. They take this thing and they dip it. And so what does he say to do with it? He says, I want you to take a bunch of hyssop. He says, and I want you to dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Where'd that blood come from? It came from the lamb. And so he says, God says, I want you to take the lamb. I want you to kill it. I want you to catch its blood. And I want you to take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood. And he says, and I want you to, verse 22, I want you to strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that's in the basin. So he says, basically, okay, I want you to go to your front door. You've killed, you've killed this, this lamb. You've got the blood. You've got your hyssop. He says, I want you to strike the lintel that was the top of the door and the side. So you can almost imagine, you know, they've killed a lamb and they've got the blood and they're taking the hyssop and they're taking it and they're painting this across the top of the door and across the sides of the door and using it up, painting uh, the side, the top of the sides of the door with the blood. Why? And it says, and after that, he says, and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. So God says, take that blood, paint it on the top and the sides of your door. Once you have, go into your door and don't come out. So why would God do that? Because here's his promise. In verse 23, what does it say? It says in verse 23, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. But when he seeth the blood, Upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door. So God says, listen, this is not complicated. If you want to, if you want your child to survive this final plague, God says, just put the blood of the spotless lamb on the sides of the top of the door. And he says, when I pass through Egypt tonight, God says, I will pass over your door. What happened that night? Well, verse number 29 says, and it came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote, that means he killed, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. In other words, it didn't matter if you were the Pharaoh or if you were a captive in the dungeon, the firstborn child of every family died that night. Can I tell you something? There was no need for all the uh, for all those children to die. Why? Oh, because God is so cruel? No, because they could have put blood on the doorposts. Right. You know, we really aren't told of, uh, at least there doesn't seem to be a hint that really any of the Egyptians put blood on the door. Maybe there was one that did. And from what we can tell, it looks like all the Israelites followed God's command and put blood on the door. You know, maybe there was a maybe there was a family in the Israelites that didn't. We aren't really told. It seems like all the Israelites did, but we're not really told. Can you imagine that next morning? How sad? How awful? How awful this is! Uh, how awful this would be! Uh, this would be because Pharaoh insisted that he was going to have his own way and that God was not going to tell him what to do. You know, sometimes folks. God allows tragedies into our lives 
so that we'll finally sober up about our relationships with God. God's not, God doesn't hate you. He's finally getting your attention. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what goes on in every situation, but sometimes God has to use drastic things before you're willing to finally submit to him. And you know what? This was the event that softened Pharaoh's heart so that after this was over, he released the people and allowed them to go and the people of Israel were able to make their way out of Egypt and began their journey towards the promised land. And I love how in Exodus chapter 12, verse number 14, God said this, and this day, what day? This special day that happened in Egypt, he says, this day shall be unto you for a memorial. Lord, you know what God says? God said, this is a very special day. And he says, and I want you to keep it for a memorial, like a, like a holiday. Do you have a favorite holiday? You have a favorite holiday? Anyone have a holiday? You like, how many of you like Christmas? You like Christmas a lot? It's like, that's my favorite holiday. How many of you like Thanksgiving? That's your favorite holiday. Anyone like that? Um, how many of you, uh, I don't know. Is there another holiday? <laughs> that's all I think. That's the ones I think about. Um, but yeah, so when we have, um, so he says, I want you to make a very special holiday. And he says, I want you to remember this event. You shall keep it uh, as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an ordinance forever. Folks, have you ever heard of the Passover? Do you know that the Jews did exactly what God said? This event happened several thousand years ago. And yet in spite of that, every single year, Jews across the planet have celebrated the Passover from this day onward. And they still do it. They don't miss Passover. They always celebrate it. When they look back and saw how God delivered them from, from, the, uh, from the, uh, the slavery that they were in with the Egyptians. And God, why did God want them to remember this? It was simple. What God wanted them to catch from, and, and one of the things that God likes to do is God likes to use pictures. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes um, I'm kind of hard-headed and we don't always um, catch stuff the first time. And so God wanted to use a picture that everybody would remember uh, to help them understand a principle. It was this, is that it would take a blood sacrifice, the blood of a lamb, to save a person from destruction. That was the simple principle. It would take for over at Passover, it would take the blood of a spotless, innocent lamb to save the firstborn child from destruction. And in the same way, in Passovers to come, they would always take a spotless, innocent lamb and they would kill it over the Passover to remember what had happened. Folks, here's something very important to realize is that about 1,500 years after this first Passover, the Jews had celebrated every single year for almost 1,500 years. They had celebrated the Passover. And, and ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it finally came about that about, about 1,500 years later, we come to the person of Jesus. And you know what John the Baptist did? And Jesus was coming and walking towards him. John the Baptist looked at Jesus and he said something very important. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, now you're kind of you're kind you're kind of in on this. You have some knowledge now about the Passover. So when John the Baptist and he was in front of a bunch of Jews, there probably would have been Gentiles there too. But he had a bunch of Jews around him. So when he pointed back at Jesus and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God," every one of those Jews would have said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute! Like Passover lamb? Like what? What kind of lamb are you talking?" The Jews would have known he was describing Jesus as the as like the official, the best. Passover lamb that there was. Why would he do that? Hey, remember? 
It was a spotless, innocent lamb who shed his blood that saved a firstborn child from dying, from suffering God's wrath. In the same way John the Baptist was saying, he said, behold the Lamb of God, he said, which takes, taketh away the sins of the world. You know what John the Baptist identified Jesus as? He is the ultimate, he is the perfect Passover lamb. You know why? Because what Jesus was going to do in just a few years after John the Baptist made that statement, Jesus was going to shed his blood. Just like an innocent lamb. Because you know something is the Bible says that Jesus never sinned. He was God. God with human flesh on. He never did anything wrong. He was innocent, just like that lamb was at Passover. He was spotless. He had never done anything wrong, just like that lamb was at Passover. He didn't deserve to die on a cross, just like that lamb didn't deserve to die. But what was he doing? Jesus dying on that cross was paying a death penalty so that you and I would not have to suffer the wrath of God. Because can I tell you something, folks? The Bible says, and if you, we, we just open our eyes, we'd all realize we're all sinners. We've all done things that have broken God's law. None of us, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. We're not like a bunch of basically good people that just have a few bad tendencies. Right. No, God says we're sinners. Yes. And because of our sin, our sin deserves the wrath of God. But just like back at Passover, in the midst of wrath, God always has mercy. And even back then, when God had to punish he offered a mercy plan. He said, listen, if you don't want your firstborn to die, just put blood on the wall. He didn't ask them to walk that night across the whole planet. He didn't ask them that night to go and dig the gold out of every mine that existed. He didn't ask them to do something impossible. He asked them to do something simple. Why? Because he's a God of mercy. Can I tell you this? Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, died on the cross to pay for our sins. That's why Romans 5, 9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I love this. 1 John 2, 2 says of Jesus, it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Okay, folks, big word alert. What is a propitiation? Real simple. It's a substitute. In other words, he's saying Jesus is the substitute for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know what that lamb was? That lamb was a substitute for the firstborn. Every family got to pick. You want a lamb to die, or do you want your firstborn to die? Well, I don't know about you, but that'd be a pretty easy decision. I, I'd, I'd kill a sheep if that would save my child's life. That's an easy decision. In the same way, God says, hey, listen, I'll be your substitute. You and I include myself in this. Us, we're the sinners. God says, you sinners. He says, I've got to punish your sin. My wrath has to be poured out on your sin. But God says, but I'm a God of mercy. And if you will accept, if you will accept my death as a payment for your sin, God says, my shed blood on the cross is enough to pay for your sin. So can we put this, can we put it this way as we close? Is this, you got to make a choice. Yeah. Hey, you know something? I said, those people in Israel, those Israelites, well, they were in Egypt, but the Israelites in Egypt, they had to choose if they were going to put the blood on the door or not. It wasn't just like God said, oh, yeah, well, you're a Jew, so you get in. You get in free. No, no, no. He said, the blood's got to be on the door if you want me to pass over your door tonight. 
Sometimes we think, well, you know, my parents are in church, so I think God's, God will give me a good pass. Well, you know, I've done some pretty good things in my life, so I feel like God will probably give me a good pass, let me come into heaven. Well, you know, I feel like I've, I've, I've lived a pretty, a pretty righteous life, so I feel like God will give me a pass and let me into heaven. Well, I feel like, you know, I've attended such and such church, been involved with this kind of Bible stuff, so I feel like God will let me into heaven. Folks, Every one of us has to make the choice if we are going to, like those people had to decide to put the blood on the door, you and I have got to decide. If you haven't already, you've got to make a decision. If you're going to put your trust on the blood of Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Have you ever done that? I'm talking to adults. I'm talking to boys and girls and teenagers. Has there ever been a time when you put your trust on the blood that Jesus shed on the cross as the only sufficient payment for your sins. Listen, what if they tried other stuff? What if they tried other things? Like, oh, well, maybe we'll just put um, maybe we'll put oil on the door. Or maybe we'll put a big tarp over the house so they won't see it. Maybe we'll, you know, come, we'd come up with a bunch of dumb ideas. None of them would have worked. There's only one way that that house could have been spared and passed over by, by God's wrath. And it was that they put blood on the door. Same thing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So, have you put your trust on Jesus alone to save you from your sins? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And uh, all heads down, all eyes closed. And this is where we're going to end. All heads down, all eyes closed. I just want to, as you're um, kind of almost ready to pray, can I just ask you this? I want to ask you two questions. These are raise your hand questions. No one's looking around, but uh, these are a couple of important raise your hand questions, okay? First question, how many of you here tonight would say, Matt, if I was to die tonight, I've already put my trust on Jesus to save me from my sins. I've already trusted him to do that, and I've already done that before in my life. Would you raise your hand? How many of you have already done that in your life? Good. Oh, awesome. Put them down. Put them down. Tons of hands all over the room. Great. Okay. I couldn't see everybody. Okay. So let me ask this. How many of you here tonight would say, Matt, if, uh, if I was to die tonight, I've never put my trust on Jesus alone to save me from my sins. I've never asked him to, uh, to pay for my sins. I've never put my trust on Jesus' blood to save me from my sins. And and man, I'm kind of concerned about that. I'm kind of worried about that here tonight. If that's you, okay? If that's you, and you would say, Matt, I'm, I haven't put my trust on Jesus' blood to save me from my sins, and I'm, I'm concerned about that. If that's you tonight, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody here tonight who would say, I'm kind of concerned about that. I'm not sure if I've got eternal life. I'm not sure if my sins are forgiven, and I'm concerned about that. Anyone at all? Just looking across the room. Okay, I see, I see a hand. You can put it down. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, then let me just urge you. You know what? Let's do this. You can look this way. You can look this way. Um, let me just urge you, if there's any question or doubt in your mind over whether your sins have been forgiven, please come talk to me, talk to pastor, talk to, uh, talk to one of these church members here. You don't want to leave with not knowing this for sure. God loves you too much to let you go. So please come talk to us if we can help you, okay? Let's pray and we'll be done. Lord, thank you so much for our time. I pray that you bless these people. Thank you so much. Lord, I pray for the person who's in the room or persons, however many there might be, uh, and they don't know you as their savior. Maybe they're doing like Pharaoh and just pushing you away. Um, I pray, dear God, that you would just convict them, show them their need of a savior. Take tonight, Lord, and just... Um, give them no rest. Just show them how much they need to uh, accept you as their Savior. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.